By the way, Akinelli's put it in your mouth. Very funny track <laughs> at the time. I don't know. And while we're on Akinelli, I just got to say, Vagina Diner is probably one of the greatest album titles of all time. Wow. Hands Wait, down. I mean, and by the way, you know, not to be like Nas and ass, where are they now? But like, I, I, I want to know, like, where is Akinelli right now? I don't. I hope he's not into diners. Oh, I hope no, he does no. not have a he diner. He has a strip. He has a strip club. I think he owns the King of Diamonds strip club. What? He's one of the owners of King of Diamond. He got some money. I'd <laughs> <laughs> like to take up something with management. <laughs> that's just brand expansion. You know what I'm saying? That's just like that's like if Gucci Mane ended up managing a Gucci store. You know what I'm saying? I know. Yeah, it's the Almanac Rap Show. I got opinions and they all factual. No news, just information that you won't be able to use unless you're at a dinner party trying to impress who's in attendance with endless tidbits of nonsense. We're gonna have a good time, I promise. You two rabbit holes, ready deep dives, pulling out old interviews from the archives. Styles, fads, trends, all of that. It's the Almanac of Rap. Welcome to the Almanac of Rap. The show that knows how to take a joke. My name is Don Will, and I'm your host for the series. Today's episode is part two in a mini-series that explores the relationship between comedy and rap. We'll be talking to Diallo Riddle and Blake Robin about rap parody songs, as well as their phenomenal new podcast, One Song, that's available now wherever you get your podcast from. Diallo Riddle is the co-creator of both Southside and Sherman Showcase and Blake Robin, a.k.a. Luxury, as a songwriter and producer. They're both powerhouses in their own right, but they've joined forces to create One Song, a podcast where they hilariously break down one song from the pop music canon. We'll talk to them in just a second, but first, I gotta kick the ballistics. Musical comedy is the broad genre that Ha Hop fits into. So you're really gonna try to make that whole Ha Hop thing a thing, huh? Okay, fine. Comedic rap. Thank you. It's the genre where songs like Amish Paradise by Weird Al. Then tonight we're gonna party like it's 1699. We've been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise. A churn Or Lazy Sunday by Lonely Island. Two, no six, no twelve, make a dozen. I told you that I'm crazy for these cupcakes, cousin. Yo, where's the movie player? Up the west side, dude. Well, let's hit up Yahoo Maps to find the dopest route. I prefer MapQuest. That's a good one, too. Google Maps is the best. True that. Double true. 68 to Broadway. Step on it, sucker. What you want to do, Chris? Sack attack, motherfucker. Hit the chronic. What calls of Narnia? Pass that chronic. What calls of Narnia? makes sense. It's also the genre where shows like The New Negroes I do the rap stuff, Barron's a stand-up, but don't try to brand us or put us in handcuffs for fans up Jolton got some music too It feels new, but it's not confusing New Negro And Sherman Showcase Belong. Both of these shows feature parody rap songs. 
Parody has been a part of rap music for a very long time. One of the earliest parody rap songs is the Rappin' Duke. Even if you don't know the song itself, you've definitely heard Biggie name check it in his song Juicy. Remember Rappin' Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. And here's the song that Biggie was referring to. Now Curtis Blow Run DMC, you haven't heard a rap till you heard it from me. I'm the baddest rapper in history, and there'll be no more after me. Da ha da ha da ha 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 da ha da If you're wondering what happened to the rapping Duke, he's currently making educational music for kids. I'm here with uh, Sean Brown, the Rappin' Duke. Uh, he released the self-titled single, Rappin Duke, the Rappin' Duke, uh, in 1984. That was a, a pretty big song. It became a Billboard charting hit, number 73 on the charts. Uh, I guess it started playing like locally on radio stations in, in San Diego. Exactly, man, you got your homework. I uh, think of like, you know, I think a lot of people like in the younger generations know you from like the 1994 song, Juicy with Notorious Big, where he like references. Remember rapping Duke, da ha, da ha, who'd have thought hip hop had come this far? And they didn't even know what he was talking about. He was talking about me, Pilgrim, da ha, da ha, da ha. Look it up, rapping Duke, you'll know. Uh, so like, you know, uh, talk a little bit more about like what you're doing today, because you said you do like education and music. I started a program doing music, puppetry, and storytelling for children and different childcare centers, and it took off. It was called the Super Fun Show. And from there, I started learning about professional development. Professional development teachers got to be certified yearly um, with, you know, first aid, uh, behavior management, just different things. And so I, I, I went and touched on the subjects that I'm versed in, which is using music for certain things. And so then I started doing children's CDs. Next thing you know, I'm doing uh, uh, keynote presentations. And so now I've had my own company now for 20 years and uh, we do pretty good in the early childhood space. And I feel like I've only scratched the surface, but uh, uh, I love what I do. But you know who else was a parody rapper? Russ Parr. Yep, that Russ Parr. The Russ Parr Morning Show. Russ Parr Morning Show. Russ Parr in the morning. What's up, y'all? It's Russ Parr. Make sure you get up to Parr in the morning because, well, it's going to be another beautiful day. That guy used to be this guy. Think I write the mayor. Have him pass a law. And that song is called Roaches. It's a play on the Timex Social Club song Rumors. And it was released by Russ Parr under the name Bobby Jimmy and the Critters. Before his career in radio took off, he released several parody rap songs on his own label, Rapsur Records. Rapsur is Russ Parr backwards. The Critters were basically just his crew of producers. And that crew included none other than the Arabian Prince of NWA fame. 
Here's a clip of the Arabian prince being interviewed about that time in his life by Soren Baker. So how did it go from being on, what was it, Rapsur Records into being part of the Critters with Bobby Jimmy? Yeah, so um, like I said, I did my first record and ended up being on uh, Rapsur Records with Russ Parr. And then I immediately started producing all of the Bobby Jimmy and the Critter stuff and even some of the other releases on Rapsur. And um, Russ was just like, man, you know, you might as well just tour with us. And it would be Bobby Jimmy and the Critters, Arabian Prince, um, Egyptian Lover, The Wrecking Crew, and The Dream Team. Because the first song in real time I heard and then I had to go back was the Roaches song. Yeah. Uh, and I remember there was the video for that and everything as a kid. And I just thought playing off of rumors, that was so hilarious. How did you find, if at all differently, you had to tap into your creativity or your artistry to do kind of a playoff of like a parody record as opposed to just an original composition? Yeah, that was the easy part. Like I had fun with that one because a lot of people don't know once me and Russ start hanging out, on the morning show, on his K-Day morning show, he would do all these voices on the morning show because he was like the weird Al Yankovic of hip hop, right? And he would call me up, man, at six o'clock in the morning, I'd be asleep. And he had me do voices because I do voices too. So I would always do like the wisdom of Prince and I'd pretend like I was Prince and say just some random outlandish stuff on the radio. And then I would do a couple of other voices. So we took that and just put that on record. Yo, this kind of adds a whole other level to the skits that N.W.A. would put on their albums. So is parody rap where artists like Lil Dicky goes? Possibly. But to me, he's a curious case. Because while his music feels like sketch comedy, the skill level is so high that it doesn't come off as funny. Parody rap also usually satirizes a popular or well-known thing, and Lil Dicky seems to be just really well-done conceptual rap with humor injected. His show Dave could be considered a parody of Lil Dicky, which is a parody of modern rap tropes, but I personally just don't find it funny. It's just really well done rap music that's kind of humorous. So how do you make a song funny? Well, I was lucky enough to get a bit of insight from none other than Diallo Riddle himself. Make sure it's a good song. Make sure it's a good you know, R&B or rap song first and then work on making it funny. Yeah, you know, I, I remember one time a writer pitched a song about mattresses and we were like, oh, that doesn't really work because you would never hear a hip hop song about mattresses. It's a, it, it's a little too sweaty, you know what I mean? Like, better that you think about something that rappers rap about all the time and dial it past the point. And it's hard with rap because rap is always so over the top anyway. But that's the challenge of writing a funny rap song is that it has to be both over the top, but also in a way that doesn't just that cuts through the clutter of actual hip-hop because actual hip-hop can be radically absurd sometimes. This interview was conducted during the writer strike. So out of an abundance of caution, he didn't mention the name of his shows. But he did tell me about an idea for a parody of Smokey Robinson's song Gang Bangin' that didn't make Sherman showcase. You know what's funny is when, you, when you're writing comedy, sometimes they're just things that are in the zeitgeist. You, you want to hurry up and get your material out before somebody else beats you to it. Michael Shea did a parody of Gang Bangin', so we killed this idea, but I kind of wish we had just ignored the fact that Michael Shea did his version because we were working on it at the same time. Me, Fonte, and a couple of our writers did a song called Child Soldier, but it was to the same beat as Gang Bangin'. Like, what he just said is that it was to the same beat as Gang Bangin', which is a song by Smokey Robinson that sounds like this. Wasting your time 
about it classic all right back to the interview <laughs> throwing grenades getting bad grades child soldier <laughs> and we like, it was like uh, war is hell can't even spell child soldiers you know like it was a good ass song and i kind of wish we could put that joint out he also touched on how he met fonte and the comedic sensibility that fonte brings to the songs the way that we met Fonte, I, funnily enough, was that we were posting videos to YouTube back when me and Bashir had nothing. And Fonte reached out to us. I don't even know how he got our email, but he reached out. He was like, yo, I saw some of your videos and I think they're really funny. Let me know if you ever want to work on something. We were already fans of his. So at that point, um, a couple of years later, when we were working on some, you know, some stuff for TV, you know, we just reached out to him again and he'd like leap right at it. So like we can use a shorthand. We'd be like, yo, give us something that sounds like Teddy Riley. Give us something that sounds like Sherelle and Alexander O'Neill, you know, like, and he'll just fire that thing right off. Even in reggae, like we'll be like, he, he actually came up with the character Mad Walrus, who you'll see on one of our shows. He was like, wouldn't it be funny? Like, you know, you got all these reggae artists with names like Mad Cobra. There ain't no walruses in Jamaica. So like we should name this guy Mad Walrus. <laughs> And it's still one of my favorite things we've ever recorded. <laughs> and with that, let's just jump right into the conversation I had with Diallo and Blake about their podcast and parody songs. And if you can't tell by now, the audio in this episode is kind of glitchy, so bear with me. Thank you so much. Let's go. Here's a performance I wish we'd never done. You know what happened when the little ones start acting obscene? <laughs> you got to whoop them! They call no child support services on the walrus. Now hear this. Lighters that air for the walrus. Mad walrus top shot to do reading for the little ones in. Whoop them. Come down. Whoop the kids. Whoop the kids. Grab the bed. Whoop the kids. Whoop the kids. Diago, I recently discovered that you DJ. What was your journey? How'd you get your start? Man, so fun fact. Uh, my journey DJing starts with hip hop. I was I was in college. And I got fired from my term time job working in the law library because it was such a boring job. I, I fell asleep one day and somebody saw me <laughs> <laughs> and snitched at my boss in the in the damn law department. And uh, I needed a new way to earn money. And so, uh, you know, actually, I, I got a credit card that had a fifteen hundred dollar limit. And I went and I bought two turntables, uh, a gym. I bought a used Gemini mixer. And I started DJing parties. And I, and I went down to Roxbury because I was going to college in uh, Boston. I went down to Roxbury. I'll never forget, I bought a couple of 12 inches. Uh, what I thought was enough to power a party, it definitely wasn't. You know, <laughs> yeah, people, yeah. Had to, people had to hear Resurrection by Common a couple of times. <laughs> you had to resurrect Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> resurrect Resurrection. Word. And I would assume at this point, your catalog has a bunch of luxuries, edits, and remixes in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, one thing that brought me and Luxury together uh, is a mutual friend and sort of like, I, I would say like the East Side hipster <laughs> scene uh, here in Los Angeles. And we realized that we all like disco and, and neo disco edits and like, you know, everything from like Carl Craig to, you know, Purple Disco Machine, you know, like just the kind of stuff that, uh, 
you know, is is not played on the radio, but like we really like that stuff. So yes, obviously, like if if you're into if you're into that sound, you definitely need to check out Luxury's uh, music because he's a full time music producer. Uh, and he's been doing it for many, many years. Yeah, and he has a great discography. I was on SoundCloud going crazy last night trying to prep for this interview. Uh, Blake, how did you? How did that project come about? It's, it's so comprehensive, and the mixes just feel lush. It's like a reimagining of the actual song. What What made you decide to do that? I, what you're referring to is I do this edit series, which started ten years ago, where I was like, I want to do something with this material so that people can hear all this stuff buried like in the track that they may not have noticed before. I want to bring out one of my favorites, actually. It's kind of underrated because it's not a song that people like associated with, you know, DJing. But you know that song Urgent by Foreigner? Urgent, urgent, emergency. There is a sick, funky bass line in there, which is like insane. It's like it's like Larry Graham level or Lewis Johnson level, like boom, 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 boom. And so I brought that out in the mix. So it's just drums and that bass line for a solid like 30 seconds. So and suddenly this track goes from this like kind of pop rock crossover to this like sick dance floor destroyer. Um, so that was kind of the goal in doing all those all these edits that I did, the luxury edit series that you're referring to. And, and thank you for the compliment. No doubt, man. So you two are both clearly passionate about music. And from what I hear, that's how you guys even bonded was just talking about music, having conversations about the songs you love. You know, we had these quick conversations that turned into, like, we thought it was a one-minute phone call, just like a little this thing, that thing, and then suddenly we're like, Daft Punk this! Yeah, 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 it's like like an hour goes by of, like, sharing musical passions and knowledge, and like, did you know this happened? No, I didn't know that! So that's, like, the kind of the essence of how we became friends, is just like, I can't stop talking to you about music! <laughs> and a beautiful friendship it is, because it turned into one song. A very fun podcast. Man, you know, we just, you know, we're putting our whole effort into it. You know, we just doing the podcast that we wish had existed that we didn't see out there. Just two dudes who love music, talking about music. And uh, yeah, we can't stress enough how much we just want people to take a listen. It's such a cool show that doubles as this immersive experience. And that's got a lot to do with the stems. Now, I, I know what stems are, but for my listeners who don't, Blake, can you explain what stems are and discuss the decision to build a show out around them? I collect these multi-track stems, which are the isolated component parts of songs, a famous song. So just the drums, just the bass line, just the keyboards, just the vocals from like Michael Jackson, Queen, David Bowie Under Pressure. Like I've got literally more than a thousand now I've been collecting for years. And when I first started collecting them, you know, the first thing I did was just listen because when you hear just like David Bowie and Freddie Mercury crowding around a mic together and singing under pressure, it's like you get you get chills up and down your spine because you really feel like you're there with these people that they're not masked by the music. The, without the music, you just hear two humans and you're singing a song you've heard a million times, but never quite this way. When you hear a song, it's like it's four minutes long and it's everything all at once, right? But when you break it down, so you've got when you're listening to three minutes of drums and then three minutes of bass, it's like kind of like an hour long experience of a song when it's like these component parts and you can just really experience like what the drummer was feeling when he made that fill or, you know, what the keyboard player did when he, when he like botched a note or something like that, but they left it in. That's one of the beauty, beautiful things about collecting and listening to these isolated stems is like hearing the humanity, hearing the imperfections, 
you know, and, and especially in this day and age where people can pro tool within an inch of its life, like any track and, and perfect perfectify auto tune. And in the old classic songs, they didn't do that. And I think it's part of why a lot of them are classic. Oh, absolutely. Like anytime I could get my hands on an official set of stems, it's truly felt like Christmas. And you said you've been collecting them for years. So do you have a white whale? Like what's the set of stems you've been hunting down forever but can't find? I got a top three at the top of my head. One, I would love to get some Ava stems because <laughs> I could go down a deep path. We could do a whole season on Ava. There's so much going on with ABBA um, and, and throughout the career too, because they start out with these really schlager, like German umpapa kind of like corny European, what the whitest of the white. And then they have, they don't get, they don't exactly have a shift where they get less whitest of the white, right. but they do have some moments where they start to expand the catalog and throw in, they get some people who can play bass and drums a little bit more funkily, but there, there is like, there's a whole, there's a decade of like ups and downs that I would love to, to follow. And then, Maybe just to keep it simple, like as a huge Daft Punk fan and, and shared with Diallo, and we're probably going to do a Daft Punk episode anyway, um, being clever about how we get the component parts. But like, I would love to get real stems for Daft Punk. And just as a fan, but also as a disco music maker and producer, I just want to know what they did. I want to be able to hear it. I know that it's super. We just did a Prince episode. Yeah. There's something about Prince most people don't know or don't really think about is how like kind of lo-fi huh. Prince's musical production is. Yeah. It's not necessarily something that's talked about first, but it's not super well done. And that's true for Daft Punk too. There's lots of mistakes in there. You can hear like two kick drums that are kind of flamming a lot of times or like ba-doom, ba-doom, ba-doom because they're like layering them imperfectly. So I'd love to do a Daft Punk. I'd love to do an ABBA. Those are my white whales. That might be more intentional than we think because, you know, Prince was clearly influenced by like, you know, like punk, even if it was just like some of the stuff that he put yeah, in his personal style. But I think that it is heart of heart. Like Prince, to me, he sort of embraces some of that raggedness. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like sometimes the yeah. things aren't like perfectly lined up. Like I feel like Steely Dan is something that's like everything's yeah. like perfectly lined up and clear and clean. But I feel like Prince kind of embraced the chaos. He's the bit. opposite of Steely Dan for sure. Yeah. I think he definitely embraced the chaos, but he also liked to move really quick. I think a lot of it was coming from he just had so much inside of him. He didn't he was impatient to like get on to the next thing. So he's like, good enough, let's move on. So I think it's a little bit of both. Or maybe the punk kind of helped him feel okay about the let's move on quickly. Or maybe or maybe it's that energy yeah. of moving on. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you can belabor it. Like I always hear about Larry Levon, who, you know, a seminal, you know, DJ slash, you know, uh disco producer. He Kept working on Heartbeat by Tana Garner. You know, my heartbeat's for the one I love. He kept working on that track over and over until the record label was like, we're going to steal the track. Like, he's been taking too long. We're literally going to take it and put it out. And what's funny is he took so long on that track. And as a DJ, I will tell you, those drums are still messed up. Like, they're still like, oh, they're impossible. Yeah, you listen to it. Like, those drums are all over the, You cannot all over mix that in. <laughs> so sometimes it's just like, hey, Tessa's over, pencils yep. down, yep. you know, uh, yeah. it ain't going to be perfect, but it's still going to be a perfect groove, so to speak. Yeah, I love all the imperfect stuff. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to tell when an idea is finished, though. You know what I'm saying? Hard, it's hard to give up your baby when you don't think it's finished, but sometimes 
hey, you gotta, you gotta just turn it in. <laughs> yep, and we're still playing that version of the song today. <laughs> but sometimes having the record label or like the other person, the collaborator, going like, it's, it's time, just stop. Like, <laughs> right. This is yeah. the end. This yeah. is the song. Stop. And I, I personally am the person who needs to be told that. Like, I'm the guy that will finesse <laughs> and overthink to like yeah. my dying day. You and me so, both, man. Yeah. I have stuff that I've been working on for literal like four or five years, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I, there's nobody over my shoulder telling me to like it's done, it's finished, and I'm like. Ah, it's not good enough yet. Yeah. Ah. It's never coming out until somebody walks in the room and says, stop, give it to me, goodbye. Yeah, you need that sometimes. So what nefarious means are you using to get these stems, and how can I get my hands on them? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's an, it's, an, it's an understandable question. I mean, the fact of the matter is sometimes I joke about it, and I'm like, well, there's a secret underground you know, society. But there is a little bit of that. There is also a lot of stuff that's just out there on YouTube. You just do it like you might get lucky if you if you search acapella or whatever, you know, or isolated drums, you know, you will find some random stuff that that, that crops up. Um, yeah, but the fact is, you know, the way the stems get out there is that either people do remixes and they share, you know, what was meant for them only to like turn into like the new Dua Lipa, um, or it's some engineer deep in the bowels of like capital you know, doing dubbing stuff, you know, until three in the morning and, mm -hmm. and then he gets a call and he, and he gets fired. He's like, really? Okay. Well, screw everybody. I'm going to share all this great stuff. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't really know the origin. I'm sure each song has its own fun backstory for how it got out there, but then it gets amongst the pr producer group that I know we kind of like, you know, we share and uh, we kind of have a secret society like magicians where we don't reveal too much about what the origins are uh, but but the fact is like you really can find a lot out there if you do a, a search for acapella on, on youtube you'll be surprised how much stuff is out there and by the way certain genres it is common practice in hip-hop going back to the earliest days you flip the record over and more often than not there'd be like the acapella and there would be like an instrumental or a yeah. beat instrumental because that's part of what djs were doing and, and can i say that's why i always hated the idea of calling them mashups like when everybody's like oh it's a mashup i'm like DJ hip hop has been doing this since the very beginning. Yep. Like even when we didn't have the acapella, you just take all the bass. You know, you look usually switch. You take all the bass out, and then you put it over somebody else's instrumental. Like we've been doing that from the beginning. It was just like absolutely the term mashup used to piss me off. I'm still mad. And even that, if you want to go like really go deep, like ten years prior to that in Jamaica, that's the origin of versioning. So they realized, wait a second, we don't have to make two songs. We can have the vocal on, on the A side and on the B side, just strip out the vocals. One song, twice as much money. So that, that goes back to 68, 69, when they first came up with that idea, and it was in Jamaica. But, you know, the history and lineage of rap and comedy goes way back. And there were so many moments of comedians making music like Eddie Murphy with Boogie in Your Butt. <laughs> a light in your butt, say mission right in your butt, say put a TV in your butt, say put me in your butt, you're about to say. Yes. Right. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. I had to listen to it for research. Great tune. <laughs> I know you guys will never dissect this on one song, but <laughs> but yo, the background vocals on that joint were so good. He's a good singer. I mean, like, don't, I mean, don't forget Party All the Time. Like, he's in there with Rick James in the video. That, that, I mean, that's a Rick James classic that's, right there. That's yeah. a banger. That's a banger. I mean, a, a banger. Listen, <laughs> Eddie Murphy walked 
so Jamie Foxx could fly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, because he had bangers. Yep. That's good. <laughs> and then he pivoted over to reggae and shit got weird. I'll never forget I Was a King. I remember seeing the I Was a King <laughs> yeah, video. Yeah. Yo, <laughs> a the sleeper Eddie Murphy jam noise, what's up with you? For real. What's, what's up, up, what's up, what's up with you? Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Who produced that track? Is that Teddy? Man, I don't know. Spotify didn't have comprehensive notes, but that's Michael on the hook. And while Eddie's performance feels kind of whiny, Mike came through as Mike. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What's up? So another comedian that popped out with an unexpected rap jam or rap song is Rodney Dangerfield with Rappin' Rodney. Rodney. I was going to say that. It's just Rappin' Rodney. Ain't rap to type, no, no. Rappin' Rodney. Get out of sight. It's just Rappin' Rodney. Make no mistake, poor old Rappin' Rodney. Can't get a break. I'm getting old, it's hard to face. No respect, no respect. But during sex, I lose my place. No, no respect. respect. No, no respect. respect. No respect. How wild was that song? <laughs> Here's what I'll say about that. Here's what I'll say about Rapper Rodney. To me, it was basically a stand-up act. Like, you didn't get the sense that he could rap at all. Like, yeah, somebody yeah. was just like, hey, just make it fit in this little, you know, spot, and we'll get the rhythm with no respect. No respect. You know, <laughs> yeah, he, like, yeah. he wasn't really rapping, but I'll tell you what caught me. I feel like it came out around the same time. Do you remember the Dragnet rap? No. Tell me more. Okay, so the movie Dragnet had uh Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks in it. Yeah. And in that movie, they did a rap called City of Crime. And let me tell you right now, like I think that it might have been one of my favorite rap songs when I was that age. And I went back and listened to it now, and I'm like, oh yeah, because Ackeroid and Hanks have real rhythm. Like nothing against Rap and Rodney, but like that is a man who does not understand rap. Somebody <laughs> yeah. is like, "Hey, yeah. Rodney, there's some money in this rap stuff," and he was like, "Okay, I'm with it. Send the check to." Really <laughs> Ooh, that's a good impression. I never heard that. <laughs> you know, like nice work. I like that. I want to hear more of that. <laughs> that was that was what Rodney was doing, but like City of Crime. Like go back and listen to City of Crime. Like Tom Hanks is he's actually really good. Like he's sitting like he's a. They got the girl tied up. Now that's not nice. I think she is the victim of a sacrifice. Buddy, we're putting this party on ice. But don't you know we really ought to read them their right? Read them their right. Read them their right. Well, I'm here tonight to rap about your right. Because right now you're in trouble. Don't have to say nothing at all. Y'all got two calls and you better make them all the Using his vocal and it's on rhythm. I mean, this really does explain Chet Hanks. Like, <laughs> yo, yo, I was literally thinking about oh, Chet. No. <laughs> Man, that's the blueprint for Chet Hanks. You know what I'm saying? Big up the whole island, massive. It's your boy Chet and I coming straight from the Golden Globes. You know what I'm saying? Me, me father Tom Hanks position and I watch soon forward come. Big up, tune in. And speaking of white rappers or whatever you want to call Chet Hanks, uh, Lil Dicky doesn't really fit into parody rap for me. His stuff is almost too good on a technical level to be parody rap. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like in the same way, when I think of Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, I think I could beat Mike Tyson or mm-hmm. Nightmare on My Street. Those songs yeah. don't really come off as parody. Nightmare on Elm Street was funny just because that was my relationship with those movies too. But anyway, yeah, I agree. Like, um, yeah, he's not he's not parody. Like, 
he really is very serious about it. And when you meet him, like Dickie's mad earnest, you know, like he's he's very earnest about, you know, doing what he feels like is almost like, you know, humorous tinged, but like from a technical point of view, impeccable rap. By the way, you know, I think that um, it's probably been said before, but um, Freaky Friday by Lil Dicky kind of blew my mind the first time I heard it, like just on some like, <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't believe this dude is using the N-word through right. Christmas. <laughs> like, yeah. It was crazy to hear that I shit. I was like, I don't know if I love this or hate this, but I will give it credit from just a pure writing point of view. That is brilliant. Yeah. Um, one other song I wanted to put on people's radar is by a total comedian that I feel like a lot of people don't know about, but I love this song. I love it. 1983, Mel Brooks puts out a song called Hitler Rap. <laughs> oh, wow. I did not know about this. Yo, Blake, did you know about this? I, I got I to gotta track that down. I got to. Right. I mean, go to YouTube. <laughs> I think technically the song is called To Be or Not To Be, but all you have to do is look up Mel Brooks Hitler rap. And he raps as if he is Adolf Hitler. And I, when I say that it is not only funny, but also Mel Brooks has real rhythm. The music is very sort of like hip, where hip hop was in 1983. So it does sound like sort of like Sugar Hill Game. But I, I actually think the musical part of it is like a solid sort of like 80s boogie song. So you've got a solid 80s boogie song. You've got Mel Brooks actually rapping. It's not rapping Rodney. He's actually rapping. And the bars, I think these are actually some bars because he actually will teach you things about World War II that you would only otherwise <laughs> pick up in like a fifth grade or sixth grade elementary history class. It's like he raps about the Sudetenlands. You know what I mean? He raps about, you know, hey, we're going to throw a Nazi party. Well, hi there, people. And like there's a rhythm and a cadence to comedians jokes like they tell them in different rooms to temper them against different audiences so they can get a rhythm down. And, you know, like jokes have mm -hmm. beats. Yeah, jokes yeah. have beats. So I could see Mel Brooks having a flow as opposed to like, I don't know, the <laughs> Chicago Bears doing the Chicago <laughs> Shuffle or some shit. You know what I'm saying? I, I forget about that. Yo, when's the last time y'all even heard that joint? It's been a minute, yeah. <laughs> it is crazy. It's my ringtone, so you ain't got to remind me. <laughs> Does the refrigerator have like a, like a, like a section to itself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the refrigerator should have had his own section on the song like Biggie on All About the Benjamins. <laughs> R E F R I D G E. <laughs> I mean, spelling your name is just as old as, as hip hop. That's Very a tough true. word to spell. I don't think I could spell that one right now if I was put to the test. There's like a D and a G. Yeah. Oh, man. There's no D. The key is that we put a D in fridge, but there's no D in refrigerator, right? Huh. What? Yeah, I don't Wait. think there's a D in refrigerator. If I'm wrong, the internet's going nuts right now, but I think I'm right. Oh, oh shit, you're right. You know, because fridge is F R I D G E, and refrigerator is R E F R I G E R. Yeah, there's no D in A T O. Who came up with that? That's a dumb. English is so dumb sometimes. Very dumb. So but dumb. I, th I think you guys might be on to something. We need to talk to the spelling bee people and get them to add a metronome to the competition to make that shit real challenging. You know what I'm saying? 
looking at the fridge, I'm the rookie. I may be large, but I'm no dumb cookie. You see me hit, you see me run. When I kick and pass, we'll have more fun. I didn't come here looking for trouble. I just came to do Super Bowl show. Yo, Diallo, luxury, man. Thank you both so much for being my guest today. You got it. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Diallo and Luxury for stopping by. If you'd like to check out their podcast, One Song, you can find it linked in the show notes. And that's it for this week, but stick around for the post credits. The Almanac of Rap is produced, written, and hosted by me, Don Will, with music provided by Von P. of Tanya Morgan. Make sure to leave a review or rating wherever you're listening, and please subscribe if you haven't done that yet. Before we go, here's a parody of Straight Out of Compton done as Harry Potter? So when I'm in the Great Hall, you better duck, cause Harry Potter is crazy as fuck! And as I leave, I kill the Dark Lord, but when I come back, boy, I'm coming straight out of Hogwarts! Yo Hagrid, tell him where you from! Straight out of Hogwarts! Another crazy ass wizard, more games I keep going, my record gets bigger, I'm a giant motherfucker and you know this! Had a dragon in my house and no one noticed. But I don't give a fuck, I'm a magical beast. Pulling out the umbrella, leaving wizards deceased. I've never heard someone make the word wizard sound racist. But I guess there's a first time for everything. And on that note, I'll see you guys next time on the Almanac of Rap. Stay whimsical.